It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is a snowy Thursday, so hopefully wherever you are, you're a little bit warmer. Where those a little bit nicer. We do appreciate you as we inch our way towards the weekend. Appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday morning. Even though it's the bye week in the NFL, we're, we're that lull, boring week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, we still got a jam-packed and loaded show for you. Some college football notes on, on both NIL and Caleb Williams transferring as the second and final national signing day concluded yesterday. We got some NFL points with Tom Brady retiring. We're not going to throw overtures at Tom Brady. We did that enough on Saturday. We did it again on Tuesday. But I do want to kind of discuss now the ripple effects to the rest of the NFC that Tom Brady's retirement has in the conference. Because I can make the argument, and I will, there are 10 teams that are impacted positively through Tom Brady's retirement. We will discuss that. So as you can tell, a lot to get into here between now and 11 a.m. Eastern. As always, we are coming to you live from where else but the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where there's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So let's get to the news that broke yesterday night, and that is concerning the Vikings head coaching position. They have made a decision, and it is not Jim Harbaugh. The Vikings are reported, are rumored to be hiring Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. This to me is telling. Because they had the Vikings had an interview with Jim Harbaugh yesterday. Reportedly, according to Tom Palacero, it lasted nine hours. All day, bleeding into the night, and a job was not offered to Jim Harbaugh. And here's why, for me, that's telling. It's going to be a lot harder for the Jim Harbaugh's of the world to get a head coaching job moving forward. Those coaches that want control, that are good coaches but kind of do it my way or the highway, those types of coaches are going to have it be more and more difficult for them to get head coaching job. I do think Jim Harbaugh is going to coach in the NFL again. I do think it's going to be relatively soon, but it's going to be a lot harder than maybe any of us imagined. Because it really doesn't make any sense that Jim Harbaugh isn't getting a job. Like, it really doesn't make sense that even the Vikings specifically didn't hire him. You look at his NFL tenure alone. He's 49-22-1. and one. In his time as 49ers head coach, he's made two NFC title games and appeared in one Super Bowl. That success, that consistent success should have all NFL teams banging down Jim Harbaugh's door to hire him. And the Vikings got him in the building. According to reports, there was legitimate interest from Jim Harbaugh to where if they offered him the job, it looks like he would have taken it. But here's why it's harder for guys like Jim Harbaugh to get a job now in today's NFL. The NFL front offices are shifting in the way they operate. 
front offices, general managers, executives are now becoming more and more involved in the day-to-day operations, in the management of the team, in the decision-making process of which players stay or go, how much playing time for this person, who are we going to pursue you know, to get on the team. There's a lot more. They are a lot more hands-on than really they've ever been. Like If you listen to any GM speak, any owner speak, especially when they are in the hiring process, when looking for a new head coach or looking for a new GM, in some cases looking for both a new GM and a new head coach like the Vikings are, one of the biggest buzzwords you will hear the owner, the GM use, collaboration. Collaboration, right? Working together, helping each other out, make and come to a conclusion, whether it's on a player, whether it's on a certain scheme, whether it's on, you know, a style of play. Collaboration now between the front office and the head coach is more popular, more rampant than ever, and that's only going to increase. So again, for guys like Jim Harbaugh that want control, that kind of want to run the team how they want to run it, and even have saying personnel, those types are not going to be hired much more. Now you look at how the front offices in the NFL are shifting, they are now starting to mirror what uh, MLB front offices are, right? Major League Baseball. Have you seen a trend over the last, let's say, decade? More input, more involvement in the decision-making process, more involvement on the game management process is being had by executives, general managers, assistants, analytics, uh, you know, analytic department uh, folks. All of those in Major League Baseball are now involved in the game-to-game management of a team. So it's not just you hire a manager, he's the one who makes the lineup card, he's the one who makes the double switches, he's the one who makes the pitching changes and the, you know, the pinch hit opportunities or substitutions. Now it is a collaboration with everyone in the organization to make those decisions on a nightly basis. So that's why you see, for lack of a better word, a lot of now new Major League Baseball hires are yes-men who carry out the orders of the front office. Dave Roberts carries out what the uh, Dodgers front office asks him to do, whether it's pitching changes, whether it's, you know, lineup card management. A lot of those decisions are not being made by Dave Roberts himself. A lot of that is, is with the front office he's talking to, with his GM, with his assistant GM, and they develop a plan before the game even starts on how they're going to attack that game. Aaron Boone, the Yankees, same thing. A lot of yes men now are being hired to carry out the orders and carry out the wishes of what the front office wants. And we're starting to see that more now in the NFL. Now, it's not yes men essentially, right? Because the NFL still has, you know, when it comes to coaching, coaching the NFL is the biggest impact of any of the four major sports. No disrespect to hockey, baseball, or basketball. The head coach is still extremely important in a team success and game management perspective uh, to where baseball, basketball, and hockey, it has been marginalized. So you can't exactly hire a yes man and have him carry out the duties that you want on a game-by-game basis because, as we know, so many decisions have to be made in-game snap decision that impact winning or losing. But now you are seeing more and more candidates that are hired that are, let's say, open to collaboration, open to discussion, listening to input from others within the organization on how their process works and how they can 
you know, attack a game. I mean, look at everyone who's been hired so far, right? We've had nine openings. Five have been filled. The Giants with Brian Dayball. The Bears with Matt uh, with uh, Eberflus. Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett. Vikings who just have, you know, Kevin O'Connell. And the Raiders with Josh McDaniels. All of those coaches outside of Josh McDaniels and with how brief his, his stint in Denver was, you can even make this case uh, in a joking manner with McDaniels, but all of those guys are first-time coaches. They don't have egos. They are going to listen to whatever the front office says. So with analytics now becoming more and more important in the NFL, now these collaborations and these hires and these discussions aren't going away. They're only increasing. Hell, look at the Texans. There was a report that came out that was confirmed by general manager Nick Casario that on game days, he had a headset in the press box. He, during the game, is talking to David Coley's head coach about timeout strategy, about two-minute drill, about, you know, challenges. The GM is on the headset with a head coach during the game, listening to how, you know, the conversations are going and at times providing input. That would never happen 10 years ago even. But that is now the new wave of how front offices and how teams are trying to build themselves. Collaboration. And as we know, collaboration and Jim Harbaugh do not jive. They do not go together. It's like oil and water. Jim Harbaugh wants to do things his way. And to his credit, he's had a lot of success doing things his way. And I don't think you can argue with what he's accomplished in San Francisco. Again, 49-22-1 record, Super Bowl appearance, two NFC title game appearances. He has a lot of success. But guess what? Even for a very successful coach in Jim Harbaugh, who now is coming off the most successful year he's had in Michigan, where he made the college football playoff. He finally won the Big Ten. He finally beat Michigan. His stock has never been higher. When you add in his Michigan success this year and his NFL success, now, though, even with all of that said, Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to do collaboration, doesn't want to collaborate with the GM. He's not getting hired. The Vikings said thanks, but no thanks. We're going with Kevin O'Connell. No disrespect to Kevin O'Connell. His resume can't hold the jackstrap of Jim Harbaugh. That's what I'm talking about when I say it's harder for the Jim Harbaugh's of the world to get hired now. The my way or the highway kind of coach is dead. It's not welcomed. I'm not saying that's even, you know, a, a bad thing. I do think collaboration, I do think everyone be on the same page is important. But also at the same time, results are results. Jim Harbaugh wins. Doesn't matter how he does it, does he? If he's winning on a consistent basis, that should be really the only basis for hiring him or not hiring him. He can't collaborate, but he can win. Guess what? You're hiring him because as long as the winds are rolling in, that's all that matters. So not every organization is going to be like the Vikings where they say no collaboration, no job. But more and more organizations now are tilting towards that philosophy, which means, again, the Jim Harbaugh's of the world, the ones, the ones with big egos, the ones that want control, the ones who do things their way. It's becoming harder and harder for them to get a job, and less and less of them are popping up around the NFL. I also want to hit on one quick point here as well, because Adam Schefter put out a very interesting tweet when the news that Jim Harbaugh was not going to be the Vikings coach surfaced. 
He made it sound like Adam Schefter did. Made it sound like Jim Harbaugh turned down the Vikings. And I don't think that that is truly what happened here. He made it seem like, and Adam Schefter tweeted, that Jim Harbaugh, upon the interview, or the interview completion, called Michigan Athletic Director Ward Manuel, told him that the NFL and his name resurfacing in jobs wouldn't be a recurring issue and that he'll be at Michigan for as long as they want him. I don't believe that for a second. I think there's zero truth in that. That's a guy who wanted the job, didn't get the job, and now is trying to cover his ass by saying, you know what? I'm at Michigan. I promise you my name will not be now. You know, there won't be a yearly rumor mill about me going back to NFL. I'm committed to Michigan, and as long as you want me here, I will be here. I think he's full blown Because guess what? His actions say differently. Jim Harbaugh, on Wednesday, yesterday, took the interview with the Vikings on National Signing Day. Now I understand National Signing Day is totally different. With the early enrolling period and the early National Signing Day, most, if not all, of these elite teams and big-time recruiting classes, they already have their, their recruiting class basically already done. So maybe Michigan signed one or two other players yesterday. But for the most part, their class for 2022 has already been set back in December. So I get now, sure, that it's a really national signing day, but it, for the most part, everything is, you know, all you're doing is crossing some T's and dying some I's. You're not really doing much. I get it. But the optics of taking an interview on national signing day is not great. Not to mention, if you truly weren't interested in the NFL, if you truly are want to stay in Michigan for, you know, as long as they'll have you, you're not taking a Vikings interview. You're staying at Michigan, and you're, you're removing yourself from any consideration. You have Bruce Feldman multiple times this offseason reporting that even Michigan assistants didn't know what Jim Harbaugh was going to do. There's reports that he had an eye on return to the NFL, and his own assistants didn't know. Maybe that's Jim Harbaugh playing hardball? I don't think so. I think that's him truly wanting to make a run at the NFL, and if he got the job, I think he would bolt. I think we all kind of understood when he took the Michigan job in 2015, this wouldn't be his last stop. And now where success is there, now where his name is finally back in good graces, I think he's taking an NFL job. I think by this time next year, he'll be, he'll be gone. I do think this is going to be a recurring issue. I do think that the four remaining jobs left, I don't know if he'll get one. The Saints is the most attractive of the four remaining. Now with the Dolphins, we'll get to that job in a little bit here. I don't see there's any chance Jim Harbaugh takes a Dolphins job. The Texans are a mess. I don't know if you want to go down to Jacksonville where Trent Baalke, your, your former pal, is the GM there that led to his firing in 2014. So it's really either the Saints or bust. And if Jim Harbaugh's not hired by the Saints, he's going to be at Michigan. But I think next year, it's going to be right back to the rumor mill. Right back to interviewing for jobs. The optics now don't help Jim Harbaugh because if he truly was committed to Michigan, he wouldn't have taken the... Minnesota Vikings interview. He wouldn't have done so on National Signing Day, mind you, because now, even if you do stay in Michigan, all you're doing is opening opening yourself up for negative recruiting from Ohio State, from Penn State, from Notre Dame, from anyone you're recruiting against, because they can point to and say, hey, last year Jim Harbaugh did an interview on National Signing Day. You're going to sound the guy you can't even trust that will be there, you know, tomorrow for you? The negative recruiting is not going to help Michigan with their recruiting class. So for me, I think there's no chance he is back in Michigan in the long term. I think he's gone next year. All right, let's not forget, he didn't reject the Vikings job to stay in Michigan. He wasn't offered the job. He basically went crawling back 
to Michigan. He took a shot of the prom queen, tried to ditch his prom date, went for the top. She wasn't interested. Now he comes crawling back saying, ah, I never was interested in the first place. I'm your date for as long as you want me to. That's not how it works. We can read right through that. You wanted the job. You interviewed for the job. You were going to take the job if it was offered to you. It wasn't offered. You lost out to a 30-year-old offensive coordinator from the Rams. And now you come crawling back and saying, don't worry, I'm never going to be in the NFL rumors again. I'm here for as long as you want me. Michigan, I'm your man. False. Baloney. This time next year, I bet you Jim Harbaugh would have a job in the NFL. It's going to be a year-by-year basis, and his name is definitely going to be in the rumor mill now going forward. So let's get your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh. Facebook, you can comment Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Did the Vikings make a mistake in not hiring Jim Harbaugh? Should they have hired the very successful and former Super Bowl appearing coach? Or did they make the right move in avoiding him? Right? He's a polarizing figure. Did the Vikings make the right move? And for Jim Harbaugh himself, do you believe him? Do you believe that he'll be at Michigan for as long as they want him, that his name will not be a recurring issue in the NFL jobs? Or do you think he will coach in the NFL again? Love to get your thoughts again. You can comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well as where you can tweet us and catch the live stream of the show there. We do return. We just mentioned the Dolphins head coaching job. They need to hire someone. The problem is this is the most toxic job in all of the NFL. Should anyone take it? We have two finalists. I'll tell you who those two finalists are and whether they should take the job or wait. We'll discuss that when we return here. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show this Thursday morning. We appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday morning, discussing and reacting to the news that Jim Harbaugh did not get the Vikings job. They instead go with Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Do the Vikings make a mistake in not hiring Jim Harbaugh? I say yes. I think they should have hired him. Bill Free, this speaks to a larger issue now of NFL front offices wanting to have more collaboration within the hiring process and within the game management process, which, as we know, Jim Harbaugh beats to his own drum. He wants full control, and he wants to do things his way. He is not listening to a GM or an assistant GM, or whoever wants to talk to him about roster management, about philosophy with the game, he does it his way. And I do think the Vikings made a mistake in in letting Jim Harbaugh go. I do. I do think he's going to coach again in the NFL. I think it's also going to be a lot harder for him and others of his type to get a job because now those coaches who are my way or the highway are not, you know, getting hired. They want, you know, front offices want collaboration. If you're not going to listen, you're not getting a job. That's the direction the NFL is moving in. And we have seen that through the five hires so far in this cycle alone. So love to hear Jim Harbaugh thoughts. Will he coach in the NFL again? And did the Vikings make a mistake in not hiring him? Facebook, Worldwide Sports or Network is where you can comment. Or on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show or WWSRN underscore radio. Let's speak of uh, and talk about another head coach opening. That's the Miami Dolphins, right? They're one of the four head coaching jobs that are still available. For me, 
I don't care who the candidate is. I think the, the Miami Dolphins job is untouchable. If I was an assistant, wherever I was, and had an opportunity to interview and get the job, I would turn it down. There is zero assistant coach right now, for me, that should go anywhere near this opening. They have two known finalists so far, uh, 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. There's a little bit of character on Twitter if you, if you see him. Type his name in, in a lot of good press conference clips that are pretty funny. And Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Those are the two known finalists so far for the Dolphin job. And I don't think either should go anywhere near this opportunity. This team is too toxic. This team is too toxic because of their owner. And whether Stephen Ross, right, we'll, we'll see what happens with this Brian Flores lawsuit um, and how it impacts Stephen Ross with the allegations that Ross you know, paid Flores or tried to pay Flores $100,000 per loss in 2018 to tank. We'll see the fallout from that. But whether Stephen Ross is still the owner of the Dolphins or not, to me, you have to pass this job up. No one should touch it with a 100-foot pole. Let's start about the claims that Brian Flores is making against Stephen Ross. If Flores is able to prove, if he has real evidence, whether it's texts, emails, voicemails, you have other you know witnesses that speak to what Brian Flores is claiming, if there is somehow proof that comes out that shows Stephen Ross tried to pay Brian Flores in 2019 $100,000 per loss in order to help their draft stock, in order to get the number one pick, you got to kick Stephen Ross out of the league if you're Roger Goodell. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Stephen Ross is gone. He's got to be forced to sell immediately. Because here's why. When it comes to Roger Goodell and, and the phrase we hear so much ad nauseum, protect the shield. Right, we got to protect the shield. That is our number one goal. The commissioner's number one job is to protect the shield. When it comes to actually protecting the shield... This is what that entails. Having Stephen Ross sell is exactly what protecting the shield means. Again, if Brian Flores' claims are true. If Stephen Ross actually, on the record, tried to pay for losses. Because guess what? One of the biggest things going for the NFL, the reason why they are such an insanely popular sport and why they dominate the U.S. landscape it's because of their competitive integrity. It's because of how great the games are. It doesn't matter whether the team is 0-15 or whether the team is 15-0. The saying and the cliche is around for a reason. Any given Sunday. Hell, we saw the Jets, one of the worst teams in the NFL this year, beat the Titans, who had the number one seed in the NFL, beat the Bengals, who are going to the Super Bowl this year. You had the Jaguars, the team with the number one overall pick, ruin the Colts' season and force them to go home early, prevent them to go from the playoffs, beat the Bills earlier this year. The two Dolphins, uh, the two or two of the Jaguars' wins, I should say, excuse me, are against two of the best teams or the better teams in the AFC. It truly is in any given Sunday league. So people tune in because you don't really know what you're going to watch on a game by game basis, on a Sunday by Sunday basis. Like, there's a reason why the, the term witching hour was created. Because in the 1 o'clock Eastern slots, right, when it gets to around 3, 3.30-ish, and you're kind of having a lot of these games end at the same time, there's usually 
three, four, five fantastic endings that are going down to the wire. That hour between 3.30 and 4.30 Eastern is usually filled with chaos. Where wins become losses and losses become wins is what Scott Hanson always likes to say on NFL Red Zone. There's a reason for it because every week these games are great. We are coming off, by the way, I would argue the greatest postseason I've ever seen in my lifetime. I'm 27 years old. So the playoffs I can remember, there is nothing really greater than these postseason games. You've had five out of the last six playoff games. Five out of the last six be determined on the final play of the game. The only one that wasn't was Rams 49ers, and that went down to the wire to where the Rams had a 10-point comeback in the fourth quarter. We have seen great game after great game after great game. That's why the ratings are massive. That is why every single year, some of the most watched television programs in all of the the country are NFL games because they are great. They are unpredictable. They go down to the wire and are exciting. The competitiveness The true parity in the NFL is the reason why so many fans watch on a weekly basis. So once you have the integrity of the game, once you have now the competitiveness of a game or a team come into question, you lose all of that. It's all gone. So when it comes to protecting the shield, that's why Stephen Ross has got to go, and even Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, if Hugh Jackson's claims are true, has got to go as well. I think about it. I'll ask you this. If we were able to prove now Stephen Ross, as the owner, was paying for losses, and now that's always in the back of your mind anytime you watch a game, is this team truly you know, trying to win? If we knew the fix was in, or even had suspicions the fix was in, would anyone watch? Like, would you honestly care? If there was a team that was paid to lose, like the Dolphins were trying to lose, according to their owner, according to Brian Flores, in 2019, would you honestly care? Would you really watch a Dolphins game versus whoever? Knowing that, oh, well, this team is paid, you know, this coach is getting a big bonus, they lose this game, so, huh, I really wonder if they're going to put a good effort out there today. Like, no one would care. It's become just scripted television then. Then it just goes and blends it with everything else. So now when you have gambling, that is such an integral part of um, growing the game. When you have fantasy football that has exploded in popularity with so many people, football fans are not playing fantasy football. If you now had a player or a game that was in question, like you're not going to care. That goes by the wayside. Fantasy football now goes out the window when there are games and when there are suspicions of teams if they're trying to play um, up to their level or not. If you're gambling, you're not gambling on any game where there is suspicion of a, of a fix being in. These sportsbooks are pulling their partnerships. So again, when it comes to protecting the shield, this is a major, major concern for Roger Dell and the rest of the owners. This is serious money now and serious attention coming off of their sport. Right? There's one thing with Dan Snyder and the Washington football team. I am not condoning anything Dan Snyder did. I think it's an absolute joke he's still uh, around, to be honest. But there's one thing for him having a horrible workplace environment and just kind of brushing it under the rug. And there's another thing where the actual games come into question. Right? Usually, there's a reason why the NFL rides out any off-the-field controversy, whether it's Dan Snyder, whether it's Ray Rice, whether it's concussions. The reason why the NFL rides these out and survives 
is because every single Sunday in the fall, we sit down and watch the games. And then you forget, oh, yeah, what about that story on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, what about Colin Kaepernick? Oh, yeah, what about this and that? You forget everything that goes on during the week because Sunday and Thursday and Monday, the games are tremendous. When the games now, the reason why people watch and tune in are starting to become a question, that is where action has to be taken. When the integrity of the game is being hurt, that is when Roger Dell and the rest of the owners have to step in and say, we can't risk this. We got to protect the shield. And that means getting Stephen Ross out. So it's a long-winded way for me to get to the point. So if you are a head coaching candidate, Stephen Ross, if this is true, is out. He's gone. So now you're going to work for a team that's going to be in the process at some point of being up for sale and have a new owner come in. And most cases, when a new owner comes in, it may not be the first day, but usually you know, within the first year or two, change is made. The owner wants to make an imprint on his team. He wants to have, you know, kind of make his stamp and make his mark on the team he just bought for billions and billions of dollars. So usually that means bringing in his own GM, bringing in a new head coach, maybe making a, a, you know, a big splash in a trade to bring in a new quarterback or a new shiny player. Change is felt. So if you are, again, Kellen Moore, who you're an offensive coordinator, you've never gotten a head coaching opportunity. If you're Mike McDaniel, who many people didn't even know a month ago, now is, you know, up for the running and a finalist for this job, you, I think, are signing your death wish that in a year or two, depending on the, you know, the sale, um, the speed of the sale, and if, again, these claims can be proven, you're out of a job. And if, let's say, the claims by Brian Flores can't be proven, and Stephen Ross does, in fact, keep the team, now you are working for an owner that, Still, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I believe the claims by Brian Flores. I do think that Stephen Ross tried to tank. So if you now are, or get the job and Stephen Ross remains the owner, even if there's no proof to actually back it up and implicate him, you are now dealing with an owner where in the back of your mind, you remember this guy tried to pay to lose games. This guy tried to bribe the head coach to tank the season. Do you really want to work for a guy that mindset is to where if he thinks his team's not going to have success and they need to get a number one overall pick, he's going to try to do everything in his power to get that number one overall pick. He's going to be mad at you if you win. Like, think about how backwards that is. If you get the job and Stephen Ross stays, it's a lose-lose proposition. Because if you take the bribe, right? If this happens again and Stephen Ross pressures the head coach, hey, we got to get this quarterback. We got to lose as many games. Let's just, you know, say screw it, go two and 15 and get the number one overall pick. If you're going to get paid to tank, you're going to either going to face a lot of fan pressure. Now the fans are going to be upset that this team is losing and not playing well. And they're going to call for your job. And you probably will get fired or you defy the owner. Do what Brian Flores did coach your ass off, try to win games, turn the team around, get national praise for taking a dumpster fire team and making them respectable. But then you also you piss off the owner because he wants to lose games and you're winning too much. So you have your boss who literally is going to be mad at you for doing your job. That's not an atmosphere. That's not a workplace environment you want to be associated with. And you know what? Fair or not, that does stain your legacy. That does stain now if you want another head coaching job again. People forget. And it will take time, you know, before I would say, let's say Mike McDaniel or, or Kellen Moore got the job and it's a total failure in two or three years. 
and they're fired, there could be another opportunity. But we have seen many coaches one and done. And when, it, when it is so bad that you don't get another opportunity. So honestly, if I'm Mike McDaniel, if I'm Kellen Moore, your stock is still going to be high next year. Hell, there's three other jobs. You could have another you know, opportunity for that. I absolutely would stay away from the Dolphins job. For me, this job is way too toxic for anyone to take right now. There is no way, if I have any head coaching aspirations, I am taking this Dolphins head coaching job. Maybe if you're an assistant coach, say, screw it. I never want to be a head coach, but you know, this is an opportunity I'll never, ever get. I'll take it. Go for it. Be, you know, be the patsy for a year or two, get fired, and then you know, take the check and just say, hey, I was head coach. But for anyone with real aspirations, you absolutely should not take the Dolphins job. Because I think one way or another, you're going to get fired, and it's not going to end well whether Stephen Ross continues to keep the team or he's forced to sell. They are the most toxic job in all of the NFL. The reason why they are so toxic, the reason why the Dolphins are you know front and center of the NFL is because Brian Flores is suing the NFL, the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Broncos for their hiring process, and Brian Flores believes it is racist, and there are racial motivations why head coaches are hired and other head coaches are not slash fired. I want to get into, when we return here, Brian Flores' lawsuit quickly here and discuss, for me, the one avenue where change actually will come about. And I don't think it's through Brian Flores' lawsuit. I'll explain why that is when we return here. Listen to the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 20 minutes from now, I want to get into some college football news and notes. National Signing Day official, well, the second and final one, but kind of the, you know, the forgotten one, if you will, happened yesterday. It's official. I do want to talk about two things that came out of that, the Caleb Williams transfer and NIL, because it was back in the news with some head coaches complaining, other head coaches like Jimbo Fisher going on, you know, on the offensive. There's a lot of NIL discussion here that I want to kind of flush out and set the record straight on and also hit on Caleb Williams. It's a great thing for Kyle Trippel, what he did. I will discuss that 15 minutes or so from now at the top of the hour. But before that, I do want to hit on... Brian Flores' lawsuit uh, against the NFL and discuss what it means. I appreciate Brian Flores risking his career to sue the NFL. I respect the hell out of Brian Flores risking his coaching career knowing there's a real possibility I will never coach again at age 40. Being okay and content with the thing he loves to do could never, ever be available depending on how this lawsuit goes and how teams you know view him after us. With that said, though, I don't think anything of change will come about in Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. I don't. I think it's great to raise a, a awareness. I think it's great to, instead of just talking about we need change, actually put something into, you know, into action and, and try to get the ball rolling. But the thing is, for me, how I view you know, the lack of minority and lack of really diversity from the coaching ranks Nothing is going to actually get changed from more rules being implemented. The only way that we're actually going to see change, the only way that we're actually going to see 
more minorities hired, more diversity in the coaching ranks as offense coordinators, defense coordinators, head coaches, in the GM searches as well, is by changing the decision makers. When the decision makers are different, they're not the same old ones that we have seen. That, to me, is when we will see start to see changes in the hiring cycle. Because think about it. We've had this conversation for years now. Do you know when the Rooney Rules first implemented? I looked it up this morning. It was actually even earlier than I thought. I thought it was like 06, 07, 08. It was implemented in 2003. I'm 27. I was born in 1994. So that's, you know, okay, fine, a decade. But almost, you know, from the time at least I can have fond memories of, of sports and NFL, that is almost my entire life. We have had this conversation. We have tried to make rules to increase diversity in the NFL. Two decades later, nothing's changed. We are in the same spot we were in 03, like we were in 93, 73, 53. There is not much change. And even with that, right, when the Rooney Rules first implemented in 2003, we have not really seen it, you know, work to the desire that people want. There was even an alteration recently where instead of just hiring or, or interviewing one minority candidate that is not on the team for your head coaching job, now the NFL changed rules. We got interviewed two external minority candidates for any head coaching job. So you're doubling now the pool. Guess what? It's still not working. Those rules didn't solve anything. Why is that? Why? How come we put this rule in and two decades later nothing has changed? Because the people that are making the final decisions are still the same. Until the owners, until the ownership group is more diverse, I don't think we're really going to see any change. That's why I don't think Brian uh, Flores' lawsuit is going to accomplish much. It's going to provide great details, and it could force Stephen Ross to sell the team. It could force Jimmy Haslam to sell the team, not because of their hiring practices, but because they were illegally trying to bribe their coaches to lose games. Totally different. So you can get some change there. But when it comes to actually having more diversity in the head coaching ranks, I don't think anything's going to come out of this lawsuit because in the end, at the end of the day, you can't force people. You can't tell them who they're going to hire. You're going to hire whoever you want to hire. So it doesn't matter how many hoops you make them jump through, how many minority candidates you have to interview. It could be 100. If they want a certain guy, they will go through the hoops. They will play the game until they are able to hire the guy in the end they wanted all along. That's been the case every single time. So until the decision makers are different, nothing is going to actually change because the rules at the end of the day can't, and nor should they, force teams to hire someone they don't want to hire for whatever reason. But you, If you look at the ownership group in the NFL right now, right? obviously 30, technically 31 owners because the Packers are... Public, uh, public company. But out of the 31, Shad Khan is the only minority owner in the NFL. So until you get more diversity in the ownership groups, more diversity in terms of backgrounds, in terms of upbringings, in terms of perspectives, the problems we have in terms of the hiring cycle are going to remain. Because the one constant in this entire thing that I haven't really seen a lot of people talk about this week is the fact that the ownership groups are the ones that have always stayed the same. That has been the one constant. We've added a rule. We've had different candidates come through the pipeline. 
We've had different GMs making the decision. We've had different head coaches hired and fired. We've had different, you know, minority candidates come up to get a job. We have had all different changes, even different rule changes to double the pool of minority candidates that have to be interviewed for every single job, and it hasn't worked. It hasn't changed anything. Why? Because at the end of the day, the one constant has been the final decision makers in the owner. So I'm not sitting here telling you you have to have owners sell because they are white. But now there are opportunities, though, to diversify the ownership group. The Denver Broncos are for sale. We have no clue who's going to you know, buy them. We haven't seen, um, you know, they're just in the beginning stages of their sale. So we'll see who buys the Broncos. You could, again, potentially could have the sale of the Dolphins and could have the sale of the Browns, depending upon, again, if there is proof like Brian Flores and Hugh Jackson are claiming that Jimmy Haslam, owner of Cleveland, and Stephen Ross, owner of Miami, bribed the coaches and incentivized them to lose games and hurt the integrity of the NFL by paying to tank. That could force a sale, and again, that could open up more opportunities for diversion or diversity in ownership. But outside of that, short of that, I don't think a lawsuit or a rule change is going to really impact the hiring process and who gets hired and who doesn't. This is going to be a very long process. And it's sad. But I'm trying to work in reality here and give you a picture and give you an idea of what the real problem is. The rules can change however they want. It's not going to change anything. A lawsuit can come about. The NFL, it, nothing's actually going to, to change in terms of actual consequence of who gets hired and who doesn't until there are different thoughts. There are different ideas or different perspectives and backgrounds about who is actually making the hire. So listen, like I said, I respect the hell of what Brian Flores is doing. I hope this gets to court. I hope we have more details emerge. I hope we have concrete evidence. I really do. Flush out the people who are kind of hurting the process and not giving everyone an equal opportunity. And again, make it a level playing field for everyone. That's the way it should be. It should be a meritocracy. It is everywhere else. But there's a reason why capitalism works because it doesn't matter what, you know, what background you're from, whatever. All that matters is can you produce? If you're a salesman, can you sell? If you're a chef, can you cook the best dish possible? Right? There's a reason why capitalism does work because the cream always rises to the top and the best are the ones that get rewarded. Everyone is driven by money. Usually the, the best and easiest way to make money is by being the best at whatever you are. So you've seen the meritocracy work throughout the entire country and especially in the NFL. The best players make it. The best players start. The, uh, the teams that have the most collection of the best players usually win the Super Bowl. It's pretty simple. So you would think, hire the best candidate. No matter the background, no matter you know what you think of them, they are the most qualified and give you the best chance to win. You should hire them. Very simple. Very easy. But that's not the case that we've seen. So I really hope, that, like I said, this lawsuit does change anything. I just don't see it because, again, until the ownership group changes, until there's more diversity of thought, not even saying that minority owners would hire minority candidates, 
but just having that different perspective, different ways to look at things, where maybe they don't hire a minority candidate in the first or second hiring cycle that they have, but eventually they're, you know, the different perspective they bring allows a, a thought to pop in, allows a perspective to change on what teams and what GMs are looking for in a head coach candidate. So it's going to take a while, I think. But that's the only way change is truly made, from the tippy top. Until change happens there, we won't see it too much going forward. So I, I said, I salute Brian Flores. I respect the hell out of what he's doing, risking his career in order to truly um, find change in the NFL. Again, I just am skeptical of actual change being had because when we've seen, rule changes don't do anything. And you can't tell teams who to hire. That's not going to change anything either. They're going to hire no matter what you know obstacles they have to clear, no matter how many candidates they have to interview, they're going to hire the person they feel comfortable with the most and want to hire. That will never change. But opening perspective. Getting out of your comfort zone maybe a little bit. That's where change is made. So we will see. Like I said, I'm rooting for Brian Flores. I'm excited to see where this lawsuit does go. I hope it does make it to court. And I hope details come out. And I hope a lot of the claims Brian Flores makes can be proven. Can be proven. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Five minutes. I want to discuss Caleb Williams and I want to discuss NIL. I think both are great. Great for college football. And I will explain why. We'll do so in five minutes. This is the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our number two. Of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Red Network. It's always sponsored by LC Design. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark, who this week, by the way, made a big announcement. Her business moving up to New York City. So for my peeps, my folks in New York City, make sure you check out Lauren. She will be in New York City now moving forward. Next month, check her out, lcdesignsnyc.com, for more information. Congrats to Lauren Clark on a big move, getting back to NYC, putting the NYC in LC Designs NYC. So I do want to talk about some college football. We've had Caleb Williams this week transfer to USC, and we've had National Signing Day commence and wrap up yesterday, the second day of National Signing Day. And now officially, the classes of 2022 are set. A lot of talk this week has been about NIL, name, image, likeness, kids now being able to get paid and advertise basically um, legally and above board instead of, you know, having the bag man, you know, drop uh, a bag of cash by, by someone's, you know, someone's house in order to have them go to a, a certain university. But there's a fig, there's a certain misconception that really this week has gotten out of control. So I want to play you a clip to explain what I'm talking about from Lane Kiffin. My Ole Miss head coach was talking about how NIL has kind of changed recruiting and the transfer portal. Here's what Lane Kiffin, uh, talking with 24-7 Sports this week, had to say about NIL and its impact on recruiting. It's basically like everybody's got different salary caps. You know, like I joked the other day, like, hey, are they going to implement a luxury tax on Texas and Texas A&M? I mean, because, you know, 
I mean, what they're paying the players is unbelievable, but it is, it's legal. So, you know, you got players that have never played before making hundreds of thousands, even million dollars. So uh, it just is what it is, but it's not going to be an equal playing field around the country at all. And, you, you know, to me, you're going to see this happening, you know, um, because what would happen in the NFL if, if people had different salary caps, you know, eventually, you know, those guys with the high salary caps going a lot of games. So, oh, you know, there's Ole Miss head coach Link have basically lamenting in one aspect. Hey, look, Texas, Texas and their budgets and their pockets are so deep that they are paying for their recruiting classes. Basically, look at Texas A&M being number one this year in, in recruiting. He's upset about that. We're basically he's saying us at Ole Miss, we don't have the same bankroll. We don't have the same boosters. We don't have the same budget. But let's say Texas A&M does. So where other the major sports that they have salary caps in order to promote competitiveness, college football, it's basically like the wild, wild west. Now that led Jimbo Fisher on a very, very uh, interesting rant yesterday. I kind of appreciate it. If you want to check it out, type in Jimbo Fisher on Twitter. But it's got a minute and a half rant about that and how uh, Texas A&M did the right thing. Look, Texas, it's not about Texas A&M or buying recruits. It right now in college football is the wild, wild west. I will admit, right? NIL is brand new. It's basically a year old. This is the kind of the first time we're recruiting was around with NIL to where now kids are making decisions where they're going to school based on the best deals they can get, whether it's at Alabama or whether LSU. Well, this school is going to pay me a little bit more, so I'm going to go here. NIL, for the first time, is having a dramatic impact on recruiting. And sure, right now it's the wild, wild west, but it's not going to be that way. It's going to level itself out extremely soon. And here's why. you got to think of NIL like this. you got to think of it like stocks. College football is like the New York Stock Exchange. NIL, boosters, companies, paying kids to sponsor them or go to school, you are an investor. The people giving the money are investors. So what does that mean? You are expecting an ROI, a return on your investment. Whether it's just the kid playing great, if you're, let's say, a diehard Texas A&M fan and you have a five-star quarterback and you say, here's a million dollars, I don't want anything, just go to Texas A&M and they say, okay, fine. Even though you don't want anything back, you don't expect marketing, you hope and you expect the kid to play well. Your ROI is A&M beating Alabama, winning an SEC title, going to the national title game. Now, you are paying that million dollars to get that kid to go to your school with the hopes and the prayers that he pans out to be a great pick, the fact that you know he wins a lot of games uh, at his time at Texas A&M and maybe wins a national title. That's ROI for just people flat out giving out money. For others, whether it's car dealerships, whether it is you know national brands, whether it's food, beverage companies, whether it's just you know someone, hey, here's a you know here's my business tech you know social media wise invest. You when you give out your money, when you are giving out money to kids either in high school that are trying to come to you know, a set school or whether they're already on the team and you're trying to give them money, you know, for their success and trying to invest in them, you are expecting, again, if it's marketing, if it's advertising, a return on your investment. So if you are, let's say, a local car dealer in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and you partner with Bryce Young, Bryce Young, we're going to give you $100,000. I want you, you know, you're going to be the official spokesperson of Crimson Tide Ford. So you'll see Bryce Young on commercials, locally to Alabama. I only get my cars from Crimson Tide Ford. He's going to be the spokesman. He's going to be the salesman to drive people to that car company. But guess what? 
if Bryce Young isn't driving people to buy cars, if his advertisement isn't increasing sales, they're going to quickly realize, well, this 100K bought us nothing. If our sales are similar, if not the same, before Bryce Young and after Bryce Young, you're not going to pay Bryce Young $100,000 to market for you because you're basically flushing it down the drain. You want a return on your investment, which is more people flocking to your company. Wow, the star quarterback at Alabama is advertising for this company. You know, if he if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. I'm going to go there to get my car. I'm going to go there to get my burger next time or, or whatever. Whatever you are representing, whatever you're getting paid to market, the expectation is business is going to increase. That's why... People invest money in these kids. That's why these kids are getting big-time deals. So sure, because it's new, everyone wants to get involved. That's why it's a wild all west, because it's finally legal. It's like gambling. Living here in New York State, gambling is finally legal. So let's say you always wanted to do it, but you never wanted to get a book. You never want to get one of those offshore accounts. Well, guess what? Now that you can legally just download an app and do it from your phone, maybe if you never gambled before, you're going to be more inclined. Hey, I'll check it out. Yeah, I'll bet on a few games. But guess what? If you start losing right away, if you lose a lot of money in a quick amount of time, are you going to keep on feeding that? No. You're going to cut it off. Your ROI is not there. Your return on your investment is already gone. Now it's a, it's a money bet. It's a black hole. So you're not going to continue to gamble, you'd think, and you would hope. Obviously, it's not the case for everyone, with everyone. But you would think, imagine, common sense would, would play out here where I'm not going to continue to gamble if all I'm doing is losing. Just like a car company or a car dealer, just like an you know, insurance company, just like a social media brand, wouldn't continue to pay kids money if the return on their investment isn't worth it, if they're not seeing an increase in sales, if they're not seeing an increase in brand, uh, brand awareness, if you're not seeing an increase in whatever you're trying to sell, if you're not, frankly, seeing an increase on the play in the field, if you give a five-star kid a million dollars, hey, I don't want anything, just go win a national title, and the kid sucks, kid transfers in a year or two, or he's a bench warmer, you're going to be upset. You're not going to all of a sudden just be slinging around a million dollars down to every single kid that you know comes your way. You're going to be more prudent. Because guess what? College kids are volatile. 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, if you're giving them a lot of money and you're investing in them, guess what? They're still immature. We all were in college once. Can you really rely on a college kid? No. So whether it's the kid panning out and being these star athlete on the field in college that we expect him to be when he comes in to sign, whether it's him staying at the university for three or four years, whether it's him, you know, marketing and, you know, having the reach that you hope, there's a lot of volatility when it comes to basically betting and investing on college kids. So most times, more times than not, your investment is not going to pan out. It's not going to be the return you were hoping for. That's not any disrespect to college kids. That's not any assumption that every college kid is going to turn out the same. Just the reality of college football and why there is so much, for me, why it's so exciting. Because when you're relying on 18 and 22-year-old kids, anything can happen. They're unpredictable on the field and off the field. So again, because it's new, Everyone wants to get their, you know, dip their toes in the water, if you will. Everyone wants to get involved. So everyone's going to be willy-nilly throwing money out left and right. Texas A&M. I don't know what their recruiting class pulled in. I don't know how many kids got big-time deals. But I, could, I, I bet you it's most, if not all. And I bet you they're big-time deals. It's not 100 bucks a week. 
to, you know, hey, come to A&M or I'll give you a hundred bucks a week. It's a lot more money than that. But because it's new, everyone wants to get involved. But now once the reality sets in that, hmm, I paid this kid $100,000. I'm not seeing a return on my investment either on the field or, or the, you know, the company he's supposed to be marketing. I'm either going to pull my investment or be more prudent with the money I give going forward. It's going to level out. Water always finds its level. So even know that, yes, Lane Kiffin is upset there's no salary cap and teams like Texas A&M can basically dangle money in front of every single recruit they want, dangle money in front of every single transfer in the portal they want to have them come to Texas A&M and then keep them there for three or four years without transferring. That could happen now. I don't think in five years from now we'll be seeing that in any which way. It's going to level out. It's going to be an artificial salary cap because guess what? We all don't have unlimited money. No one is printing money. So even if you are a wealthy, very wealthy booster, sure, maybe you can afford to blow $10 million. God bless you. But guess what? You didn't get to your riches if you're a booster. You didn't make your money by just throwing money away and just pissing it down the drain. So if again, if you want to pay a kid a million dollars, God bless you. But if it gets if you get burned, which you probably will, in one way or another, whether it's performance on the field, whether it's you know return, whether it's kid transferring, whatever, doing something stupid off the field, getting in trouble, your investment is not going to be worth it. So now going forward, you're going to be again more careful with who you pay and how much you pay. We are going to see a slowdown very soon here in college football where it's going to um, level out. It's a gold rush right now. Everyone wants to get involved. Everyone wants to be a part of it. But pretty soon you realize, hmm, and I'm losing more money than I gain here. It's not going to be worth it. Kids like Caleb Williams, who we'll get to in a second, are shown to be worth it. Great play on the field, right? A polarizing figure, one of the most famous college role players ever. So whether it's marketing on the field, whether it's paying him to come to USC to win a national title. Yeah, it's a pretty good investment, but not every kid is like that. We've seen plenty of five stars flame out. JT Daniels, five-star modern day, right? It was supposed to be a quarterback pipeline. He goes to USC, modern day USC of the NFL. That's kind of been the pipeline for Matt Barkley, for Matt Leinert, right? We've seen a lot of successful quarterbacks come through. Well, guess what? JT Daniels is about to be at his third school. Not every five-star pans out. Most five-stars, frankly, don't. A lot of two-stars, one-stars, no-stars rise up and become stars. Look at Joe Burrow. Look at even Kyler Murray. A lot of these, you know, great players that go number one overall come out of nowhere, and a lot of these hyped-up prospects flame out. It's going to level out. Recruiting and NIL and college football is going to level out. It's a great thing, and right now, sure, it's the Wild West, but pretty soon, it's not going to be that. Common sense is going to infiltrate college football just like it has in every other aspect of our industry. College football players are just like stocks. It's just like playing the stock exchange. You want to play the market, you're going to get burned. And guess what? You could throw all the money you want, but if you get burned right away, you're going to be a lot more wiser, a lot more prudent when it comes to investing again. That's what I think is going to happen in college football. So NAL... A lot of discussion this week. Guys like Lane Kiffin are complaining about it. It will find its level very soon. The other thing I want to hit on this week, Caleb Williams transferred to USC. I think this is a great move, obviously, for USC. Duh. But I think it's a great move for college football. Because Caleb Williams doing what he did, I think, gives college football the one 
one of the few ways to finally bring parity back. College football desperately, desperately needs talent dispersion. Right? There's a big reason why Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, why those teams are always in the mix for the national title every single year, and why more times than not, those five or six teams I just listed are usually most of the four teams that make up the college football playoff. Now, the reason why they're so great every year is because they are the ones who always get the most talent. It's common sense. You have the most talent, you're going to win. So Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, these schools are always recruiting at an extremely high level to where they are getting the best kids to always come to their school. So a lot of the best players are grouped together or squished together in just five or six teams. Spreading the talent out brings parity to college football. Look at the SEC. To their credit, the SEC, the reason why it's the toughest conference in college football, and the reason why it always gets the most notoriety and gets the benefit of the doubt, and more times than not is the only conference that's going to get two teams into the college football playoff every single year, is because they do a great job of nationally recruiting the best kids in the country, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in New Jersey, whether it's in Pennsylvania, Michigan, California, Alaska. They get the best kids in the country to come to their schools in the South. And there's a reason why they've won five out of the last seven national titles. The conference itself has most of the talent in college football. So one of the ways to return parity to the sport, one of the ways to get more teams involved is by spreading the talent out. And guess what? Caleb Williams going to USC. You know, he filed Lincoln Riley, so he's going from Oklahoma to USC. But uh, Caleb Williams going to USC now is bringing more relevance to the West Coast, which has frankly been shut out since the college football playoff was first initiated almost a decade ago in 2014. Right? That, to me, underscores why Lincoln Riley going to USC, being hired by the Trojans, is the most impactful hire for college football since Nick Saban was hired at Alabama. Lincoln Riley's number one goal is to keep talent in the state. California is one of the most talent-rich states in the country. It's easy to forget because all the kids go elsewhere. Look at some of the best players in college football. DJ Uwe Ungole at Clemson. CJ Stroud, Heisman finalist, Ohio State. Chris Olave, one of the best receivers in the country. Matt Corral, maybe will be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. He went to Ole Miss. Bryce Young. Hello, one of the best, you know, the best quarterback in college football. All these guys, you know where they're from? Southern California. USC's backyard. These guys all left to play in the South or, you know, at Ohio State in the North. They all went far, far away from home in order to play their college football. Lincoln Riley's only goal when he's hired, his only duty is to keep these guys in state. And by keeping Southern California players in state, it allows the West Coast to be relevant. It allows the Pac-12 to have some cachet again, to have some relevance. Because right now, the West Coast is shut out. It's dark. We're talking about college football. It's a very regional sport. It is the South. I would say it's the North and Big Ten area, but really outside of Big Ten country and outside of SEC slash ACC country, from, let's say, Oklahoma, Texas, east to Florida, the whole, you know, west coast, Utah, you know, California, Arizona, no one cares. Nationally, 
because their teams are never in it because a lot of their best players from that region go elsewhere. So bringing in a big-time quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in, the, uh, in college football, Caleb Williams, to USC, you now make USC relevant. You now give a reason for the five-star quarterback or the four-star quarterback or some of the best receivers or defensive backs in the country that are in California to stay there. The reason why USC in the early 2000s was dominant it's because they kept all the Southern California kids home. Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush. It's very simple. Keep them home and you're going to have success. And by having West Coast teams now have success, by having USC build up, by having Oregon still with a tremendous recruiting you know, cycle, uh, still even with Dan Lanning bringing in some good recruits, you now can make West Coast football better being back and now again spread the talent out to where the west coast has great teams the east coast has great teams but now there's not as dominant at the top to where it's five or six teams and everyone else you give more teams an opportunity to compete and make them relevant and you get more regions relevant that's why i think this caleb williams transfer is great for college football and so important going to usc you bring some legitimacy, legitimacy, easy for me to say, to the school. Not that they didn't have it already with Lincoln Riley there. Lincoln Riley's done a great job in recruiting already and a great job in the transfer portal. But bringing Caleb Williams there allows USC to be relevant right away, have them make some inroads in success, and be in the picture. Like, I don't think they'll win a national title in Caleb Williams' time at USC, especially this year. I don't think they're right there in terms of national title contention, but they're right there in terms of, Pac-12 championship winner in terms of being in the conversation for a college football playoff, being in the mix more than they ever really have been since Pete Carroll left. So this is great for college football. And again, I think it's a, a good thing moving forward. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. I want to talk about Tom Brady retired. We're done throwing bouquets, TB12s, right? He's great. We all know. There's nothing I can say about Tom Brady's greatness you haven't already heard, heard read, or seen with your eyes. So let's talk about the ripple effects now. Tom Brady is not playing. The NFC is wide open. There are 10 teams impacted by his retirement. I'll explain each of those 10 teams and why that is when we return here, right here. We're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show, I should say, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network? We'll circle back to the biggest news of the day, which I would say Jim Harbaugh not getting hired by the Minnesota Vikings. Is that a good move by the Vikings? So they get around and will Jim Harbaugh ever coach in the NFL again? I said the answer is yes, but it's going to be a lot harder than we think for him to get a job. I'll explain why that is in 20 minutes from now. But I do want to hit on the GOAT hanging it up. Tom Brady officially retired. Right? He reported to retire on Saturday. He said he didn't make up his mind. And Tuesday, the official TB12 accounts, Tom Brady himself put it out there. He's indeed hanging it up after 22 years. Incredible career. But like I said, it's happened. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard or seen already. So I do want to attack his retirement from a different angle, and that is this. His retirement directly impacts 10 teams in the NFL. 10 teams. 
just by a single announcement by a single player hanging it up. It's an insane amount of ripple effects through the rest of the NFC, but here is why one man's retirement will touch 10 teams directly for the 2022 season. Let's start with this team he just retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think Tom Brady is going to be the only Buccaneer to retire this year. I do think Bruce Arians is going to call it a career as well. I would be floored if he ends up coaching this team in 2022. They have a ton of free agents. They have a ton of, uh, you know, the the, the um, salary cap is not great. They're not very flexible. They need a quarterback. Now, they don't really have a quarterback on the roster. They drafted Kyle Trask in round two of last year's draft. Is Kyle Trask ready to play? I doubt it. I don't think so. It was, a, you know, it was determined for him to be a reach when, they were, when he was drafted late in the second round anyway. I don't think the Buccaneers anticipated him retiring in 20, you know, after this season. Um, so I'm not sure that they, you know, directed Cal Trask with thinking he'll be the guy in 2022. So I think Bruce Aaron's going to call it a quits because, look, you won a Super Bowl. You made it back to the playoffs. I think this Bucs team is going back to be, you know, irrelevant, to be honest. Only this is a, a plug-and-play situation. You have important players like Chris Godwin, Jonathan, uh, J.C.P. Paul, J.P.P., Leonard Fournette, and Dominican Sue. All those guys are free agents. It's going to be hard to keep them all. Um, and I think with Rob Gronkowski also being a free agent, I think he will retire as well. So a lot of your impact players are retiring. It was an extremely stressful season for Bruce Arians. He had the entire, you know, Antonio Brown situation to deal with, injuries for this team. Um, you know, you eliminated the second round of the playoffs. I think Bruce Arians is going to retire. I think Rob Gronkowski is going to retire. And I think this Bucks team is going to sink back down. They are, for me, headed for a rebuild. So you take a Super Bowl contending team in 2022, and I think with Tom Brady's announcement, send them into retirement. You get the Los Angeles Rams representing the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. Free now, they might have been the team to beat next year anyway, win or lose the Super Bowl, but they, to me, are now by far the toast of the town in the NFC. By far and away, the best team in the NFC, the team that most people will be picking next year. You have Aaron Rodgers in the, in the Packers. If he stays, we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, you have the Cardinals, the 49ers. It is by far the Rams conference to lose. I still think there have been Tom Brady backers and Buccaneer believers next year if he was back there. But by far and away, Buccaneers are the toast of the NFC. There's no threat of Tom Brady kind of getting his redemption. It is the Rams conference to lose. And right now with how things are shaking out, I know it's very early and a lot of things change. But you look at 2022 in the landscape of the NFC, it right now, would be viewed as a disappointment if the Rams don't get back to the Super Bowl. This NFC is wide open, and there's not very many teams standing in the way, talent-wise, of LA. I mentioned the Packers before. Let's get into them. How does Tom Brady retiring impact the Packers? Easily. It forces them. There is no justification now for Green Bay trading Aaron Rodgers. With Tom Brady retiring, with the Buccaneers, one of the biggest roadblocks, and the team that in 2020 ended your season in Lambeau Field with them taking a step back and basically now totally resetting the organization, your road to the Super Bowl just got easier. I get there's not been one team. It's not just been Tom Brady. That's been the biggest thorn in the Packers side. The 49ers got him twice. You know, the, you know, the Buccaneers did it but, you know, last year. There's been plenty of other teams and plenty of other reasons why the Green Bay Packers have failed to get back to a Super Bowl since they won the first one with Aaron Rodgers back in 2010. But now, like I just mentioned, the Rams. When you look around the landscape of the NFC, if you're the Packers, the Cowboys don't scare you. No other team in the NFC East scares you. The NFC North, no one scares you. Vikings, Lions, Bears. 
No one is coming for your crown. The South is the worst division now in all the NFL. And the West, yeah, you got the Cardinals. Do I trust them in November, December, January? Absolutely not. The Rams are the Rams. The 49ers, you know, they're going to have a new quarterback in Trey Lance. The Packers are right there with the Rams in terms of being the two by far overwhelming favorites in the NFC. And if you truly want, you know, if your goal, if you're Brian Gutekunst as the GM, if you're Mark Murphy as the team president, if your goal is truly the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers in 2022 with a weakened NFC is your best chance to get there. So run it back one more year. Whether it's just blowing up the Jordan Love trade, getting rid of him and riding Aaron Rodgers out through he retires, whether it's just having a, a second last dance, right? We thought with Devonta Adams posting the Michael Jordan memes, with Aaron Rodgers posting Michael Jordan memes, it was going to be, you know, 2021 being their last dance. Well, if you can have a last dance part two in 2022, you got to do it because this NFC is there for the taking. One of your massive roadblocks is now gone. Tom Brady, the guy who has stolen so many people's teams, players' hearts in the postseason, in the playoffs, is now out of town, out of the picture. You got to capitalize. I don't think there's any justification for me. Even before Tom Brady retired to trade Aaron Rodgers, I think it'd be ludicrous if you're the if you're the Packers to do so. But now, now especially with the massive roadblock removed, you got to see it the fourth times the chart. Right? They made three straight NFC title games. 2019 blown up by the 49ers. 2020 lost to the Bucks, or two straight, I should say. Failed to get back to a third, and lost to the 49ers home in the divisional round. You gotta see it fourth times the charm, but now with one of the biggest hindrances. Gone in Tom Brady. You gotta run it back. Now, I know the Vikings made their hire official yesterday in Kevin O'Connell, hiring um, the Rams offensive coordinator to their next head coach. But that Vikings job for Kevin O'Connell is more attractive, and this Vikings team is more dangerous. They have, outside of the quarterback, they are a Super Bowl contending offense. I love Justin Jefferson. Obviously, as we know, a great. Receiver so far through his two years. Haley Adam Thielen form a great one-two combo. Dalvin Cook, when healthy, is a top-five running back in the NFL. They need help on defense. But you are legitimately a quarterback away from Super Bowl contention. Like, that's not hyperbole. Look, look at the Vikings. If you can get, somehow, a Deshaun Watson, a Russell Wilson to your team, or you get lucky in the draft and you hit a home run, this team is going to be dangerous for years to come. And now with no Tom Brady again, that's one less roadblock you have to worry about. The Vikings job, again, I know they made the hire, so it's not like they're trying to court a new G, uh, new head coach, but that job is more attractive if you're Kevin O'Connell, and it's more winnable right away now because Tom Brady's gone. Speaking of job attractiveness, a team that has not made a head coaching hire, that now whose job status has been more attractive and has increased is the New Orleans Saints. The boogeyman, I know it's been a short two-year ride, the boogeyman in the NFC South is gone. I know he's only won the NFC South one time, but you look at the rest of the division, the Panthers are, are, are you know fumbling around trying to find a quarterback. The, the Falcons, I think, are kind of stuck where they are. This division now, with Tom Brady retiring, is wide open. I think the Bucs go back down as the fourth worst team, as the worst team. So if you're the Saints, all of a sudden you're looking at a team with cap help. The, literally the worst cap space in the NFL in 2022. You don't have a quarterback. Taysom Hill, I'm sorry, absolutely not. You might not have Michael Thomas. 
you might be better off being in a rebuild. But with that said, the NFC South is wide open to where it is theirs for the ta- if George for the taking. If you get Jimmy G and you have Michael Thomas return, he's under contract. If you just keep him and get him to play, this team I'd say is a favorite to win the division. Depending on you know if Carolina gets to Sean Watson or not. But you now made the Saints' job way more attractive because this team is still competitive enough to make the playoffs and win their division next year. So Mickey Loomis, the GM of the Saints, Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, should be throwing bouquets to Tom Brady. Thank you. You made our job one of the most attractive out there. Thank you, Tom. They're going through the interview process. We'll see if any other candidates... um, you know, reveal themselves or, or now are suddenly more interested, but I would have a hard time saying that people aren't more interested in the Saints now because the division is wide open. So Tom Brady retiring has made the Saints job more attractive and I think has made the candidate pool even better for New Orleans. Speaking of the NFC South, we mentioned the Panthers before. If you're Carolina, this should really, if you weren't all in before, really put you all in to get Deshaun Watson. Again, there's a lot of legal um, battles Deshaun Watson's going to have to fight, and we're going to have to see if he's even eligible legally or by the NFL to play next year. We have no clue, right? That's the, the one thing we have no idea about. But if he is able to play, if he is not going to jail, and he is eligible to play in 2022, if you're the Panthers, you have to, have to trade for Deshaun Watson now because that is a division winner. If you're Matt Rule... Going into year number three, already on a very hot seat, where there's even questions if he would return in 2022. Two years in, there was questions of if he was going to get fired or not. The big thing that Matt Rule's been missing and this regime in Carolina's been missing since David Tepper took over is a quarterback. The defense is very good. They're young, they're tenacious, they're feisty. They are, you know, top five in a lot of important categories. The defense is not the issue. The skill positions are pretty solid. DJ Moore is a solid receiver. Christian McCaffrey, now you need him to say healthy. It's a, it's a big if I understand that. He's a solid weapon you have. The offense line is atrocious. But if you are able to get Deshaun Watson on your team, if you are able to trade for Deshaun, I think you are the favorites to win the NFC South. So if you're Matt Rule, you can go from hot seat to division winner and hosting a home playoff game by making one trade. The division now is wide open for you. You have to be even more motivated to get a big splash, to get a quarterback, to get your team going in the right direction in 2022. I think Tom Brady retirement announcement makes even or provides even more motivation for the Panthers to get a big-time quarterback. When it comes to Super Bowl odds, I think three, two teams really increased. Three teams. Cowboys, Cardinals, 49ers. All three teams are going to be question marks in 2022. For the Cowboys, I don't think they're, you know, for me, I think Mike McCarthy's holding them back. The Cowboys are a team that shrivel in the big moment, that, that play well and beat up the bad teams, can't beat the good teams. I don't trust the Cowboys, but call them for what it is. One of the best teams in the NFC, one of the biggest Super Bowl threats, their quarterback retires, and I think that sends them into a rebuild. All of a sudden, now the Buccaneers go down, the Cowboys go up. The Cardinals, I do not trust them in the playoffs. Absolutely not. I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury. I think there's absolutely a correlation between him coaching and the reason why every single year he has coached, his team has had a second-half collapse. I think it's directly on him. Cardinals don't think so because they're bringing it back in 2022. I don't trust Arizona for one iota in December, January football. With that said, big roadblock out of the way, setting for the 49ers. Trey Lance this year is going to be interesting. 
We'll see how he develops. I don't think expectations should be very high for Traylon in year number one of him starting. But with that said, again, one of the biggest roadblocks to the Super Bowl is now gone. So if you're the Cowboys, if you're the Cardinals, if you're the 49ers, your Super Bowl odds just went up. For some, not dramatically, but for others, yes. You got to feel good about that. And finally, we talked about why I don't think the Packers should trade Aaron Rodgers. If you're Russell Wilson, right, you are the one forcing a trade or you are the one wanting a trade. Aaron Rodgers, I think, wants to stay in Green Bay. Russell Wilson does not want to stay in Seattle. That, I think, is clear. If you're Russ, though, I do think you got to think twice now about requesting a trade, especially if the destinations he wants to get traded to or in the AFC. Whether it's Denver, whether it's the Colts, whether it's the Titans. I don't know where Russell Wilson wants to go. He has not released a list like he did last year. So you have no clue, you know, his pecking order. But if he wants to go through with forcing a trade, and he wants to go to an AFC team, the AFC is loaded with young quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. There are a lot of great young quarterbacks now in the AFC that's going to make that battle and that road to the um, Super Bowl harder toward the NFC. We just talked about now it being wide open. If you're Russell Wilson, when you are in a barren NFC, the path to a Super Bowl is easier, even though you're in the hardest division of football, easier in the NFC than it is in the AFC. Do you really want to go to a Broncos team and be in the same division with Patrick Holmes and Justin Herbert? You don't have to go against... Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Patrick Holmes, maybe those are three games you got to play in in order to get to the Super Bowl. Or you got to stay in the NFC, try to build around the team. You still got DK Metcalf. Obviously, you have Tyler Lockett. You got a lot of other hosts to fill. Don't get me wrong. It's not exactly a quick reboot here in Seattle. But you make it to the playoffs. Okay, you got the Rams. Very tough team. If Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay, you got the Packers. If not, it's there's really no one else. But outside of the Packers with Aaron Rodgers and the Rams, there's no other team that you should feel worried about if you're the Seahawks. Cardinals you beat. The, the Cowboys are paper tigers. No one in the NFC South is any good. This is a, a very easy path to the Super Bowl if you're the Seahawks with Russell Wilson there quarterback than it would be going to the AFC teaming up with, let's say, the Broncos or the Raiders or the Colts or the Titans, where the gauntlet is a lot tougher. So I think if you're Russell Wilson, you seriously have to reconsider now your trade demands, your trade request, or officially requesting a trade, because one of the you know the biggest roadblocks is gone. So I do think we have legitimately ten teams impacted by Tom Brady's retirement: the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the 49ers, the Panthers, the Saints, the Vikings, the Packers, the Rams, and of course the Buccaneers. Ten teams out of the sixteen directly impacted for 2022 because of Tom. Brady retiring. That is GOAT status. That is impressive. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Which team is most impacted by Tom Brady retiring? Is it the Buccaneers? Because obviously they lost a great. Is it the Packers? Because now you should probably keep Aaron Rodgers in the case for keeping Aaron Rodgers is greater. Is it the Seahawks? Maybe they'll keep Russell Wilson. Is it like the Panthers? Because you think now they'll be more motivated to trade for Deshaun Watson. Is it the Saints? Because now their head coaching job is more, more attractive. Who is the most? Who is the team that is most impacted by Tom Brady's retirement? Love to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore Radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. 
we do return here. Jim Harbaugh was not hired by the Vikings. Was it the right move for Minnesota? We will discuss when we do return your listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Minnesota Vikings have made their head coaching decision known last night. A surprising decision, at least in my opinion. They have decided to hire Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator, over Jim Harbaugh, which they interviewed Jim Harbaugh yesterday on National Signing Day, nonetheless, for nine hours and did not offer him the job. I will say this. I think it's a mistake that the Vikings did not hire Jim Harbaugh. I understand he's a big personality. I understand now the NFL front offices are shifting to more a collaborative effort where the GM and front office executives have more impact, more say, more input on day-to-day operations than they ever have before. And I get Jim Harbaugh is someone who's a my way of the highway kind of guy, right? He is one of those old school coaches that wants wants control, doesn't be told what to do, wants to do things his way. So it gets kind of an old school, new school, uh, new school clash where you don't kind of want those philosophies, um, ma- uh, you know, mixing too well because then you know there's tension and usually things don't end well. With that said, though, one thing I can't argue with is success. Jim Harbaugh is a very successful NFL head coach. His career record is 44, uh, 49, excuse me, twenty two and one. He's made two NFC title games, one Super Bowl appearance. You can't argue with that success. So sure, maybe what's in vogue now is collaboration. Hearing and having the GM and other executives have input on the roster, on the scheme, on the play calling, etc. But guess what? If Jim Harbaugh wants to do it his way, and he is one doing it his way, I have a tough time justifying that because he's not a collaborative person, that means you shouldn't hire him. The goal at the end of the day should be winning. Whether it's through a collaboration, whether it's someone doing things on their own. Winning is winning. You can't have and worry about feelings being hurt that the GM is not having his voice heard. Jim Harbaugh does things his way, but he's a successful person in doing that. And for the Vikings, they are close. This is not a rebuild. You have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, a, a decent offensive line. Sure, that the defense needs help. But this, to me, is a team where they are a quarterback away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And especially, Tom Brady just retired. The Buccaneers take a step back. The NFC is wide open. If Aaron Rodgers is traded to the AFC, if Russell Wilson is traded, it's the Rams and everyone else, the Vikings, legitimately have a chance to be the second best team in the NFC. You are close. I would have went with Jim Harbaugh. I think they made a mistake in not doing so. And I do think because he is not a collaborative person, that does not discredit him or that does not, you know, reject him from the hiring process. That to me should not be a notch against him. But with that said, that is the reality of what NFL front offices are looking like nowadays. Collaboration is now key, which is why I do think Jim Harbaugh is going to have a tough time getting a job. I think he will get hired. I do, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher than maybe me and you anticipated. I thought it was a shoe in As soon as there was discussion of Jim Harbaugh and there's reports that he's interested in going to the NFL, we heard the Raiders, we heard the Bears, the Vikings, the only one who interviewed him. There's a reason for that. 
The Jim Harbaugh's of the world are not as attractive anymore to owners and GMs. Doing it my way or the highway is not something that people want to hear. GMs want input. They're, the, the, the way now pharmacists are moving towards, it's towards young, innovative thinkers. Right? The GM age is only getting younger and younger. Well, again, look at all the GMs that were hired this cycle. Quincy Adolfo Meffa. Mensa, excuse me. I, I totally botched it. I apologize. The Vikings GM. He's a young guy. Innovative. Collaborative. They, he must say collaboration in his um, introductory, introductory press conference a million times. It's a big buzzword. People want to be on the same page. So guess what? For Jim Harbaugh, when you go in there to your interview, and I'm sure he said it's my or the highway, selling to that effect, that's a turnoff for owners, for GMs, for front office execs who are making this decision. They want to have someone who will listen. Look at the five hires that have been made this hiring cycle. The Giants with Brian Dayball. The Bears, Eberflus. Broncos, Hackett. Vikings just hired Kevin O'Connell. Josh McDaniels was the Raiders hire. Four of the five guys are brand new hires. Obviously, Josh McDaniels being the exception. But the Raiders also hired Josh McDaniels in part because their new GM, Dave Ziegler, worked with the Patriots. So there's an open line of communication. There's a familiarity there. There is going to be collaboration. All five of these hires that were made this cycle alone were hired because they will listen to what the front office has to say. The NFL front office is starting to move in the direction of Major League Baseball. If you're a baseball fan, you know front offices run the show. They pick the players, they sign the contracts, but now they also impact lineup cards, pitching changes, double switches, pinch hits, pinch hitting opportunities. Like, you, you see how these teams operate. There's meetings every day between the manager and the front office discussing how to map out that attack, discussing who should bat where. It's a collaboration. The manager back in the day used to make the lineups himself. The manager controlled the players. He controlled who starts. He controls who, who comes off the bench, when they come off the bench, what pitching changes to make, when. Now, it's all done before the game. The GM has just as much say, if not more, on who bats second than the manager. That is now starting to creep into the NFL. To where GMs are having influence to where they are determining players, rosters, who plays where, what quarterback you're going to get, playing time, scheme. It is all now a collaboration. It's no more GM picks the players, coach coaches the players. It's now they do both. I'm not saying that's even a bad thing. I do think the open line of, uh, do think the open line of communication is good. I do think having more voices heard in some aspects is more beneficial because it allows more ideas to be shared and, and new thoughts to spur rather than just kind of being set in your own ways and kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Everything everyone's evolving, everything is evolving. So if you're gonna evolve your offense or hear, you know, a point made by an associate GM that sparks a new thought of a player or a scheme or a play, that's great. But it also makes it tougher for guys like Jim Harbaugh who have done things their way, where it is in my way or the highway, where I want to coach my team, I know what I'm doing, I've won games, I've had success. Those kind of coaches, it is not, you know, there's a reason why they're not getting hired again. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl three years ago, or 2017, a few years ago, excuse me. He's not getting hired. He's not even really even in the mix. 
outside of hiring, you know, interviewing for the Jaguars, I haven't seen Doug Peters' name around much anywhere. You don't think a team could use a Super Bowl winning head coach who in five years in Philly won a, uh, made the playoffs three times? You don't think an NFL team could use a Jim Harbaugh type where he is 42, uh, 49, 22, and 1? Two NFC title game appearances, one Super Bowl in four years in San Francisco? You don't think a team could use that? Obviously, a team could use that. You'd be dumb not to hire him. But again, those guys, if you are set in your ways, if you're not going to listen to what the GM has to say, if you're not going to take input from others, they are not hiring you. The NFL coaching cycle is changing. The NFL front offices are changing. It's going to be a lot tougher now for guys like Jim Harbaugh to get a job. So I do think he will coach again. I do think it will be next year. Because I think he'll take any job that's offered to him. And I don't think every single organization is in line with a young GM and collaborative, uh, collaborative effort. I think there'll be plenty of teams that will say, if we had an opening next year, Jim Harbaugh's our guy. But it is a lot tougher for now Jim Harbaugh at 49-22-1 to get a job than it was five years ago. The NFL is changing. I think the Vikings showed you that right away. They had a successful NFL head coach in the building, and instead they opted for an unknown in Kevin O'Connell. Maybe Kevin O'Connell is the next Sean McVay. The Sean McVay tree has been pretty successful. Brandon Staley... Uh, you have Zach Taylor going to the Super Bowl. So it's not like it's been the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Don't get me wrong. But he's a very, you know, it's an unknown. He's an offense coordinator that doesn't call the plays. That is young. We'll see. But I, I me, would have went the route of having the known commodity in Jim Harbaugh, who has had success, had success, you know, at a very high level at the NFL level, and has shown he could do it before. I would have hired him to do it again. The Vikings said no collaboration, no job. That is the NFL we are living in in 2022. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate all of you who tuned in on this Thursday morning and made us a part of your Thursday morning. We will not be back on Monday. Going a little skiing this weekend, taking a little trip now that there's really no NFL uh, for the first time since September. So free weekend, take advantage of it, hitting the slopes. Will they be back this time next week? Of course. We're not going to miss Super Bowl week. We'll be back on Thursday. Hickey's Pickies will be back, a special edition there. We'll get you all jacked up and ready for Bengals, Rams, Super Bowl. I am so pumped. So no show on Monday. We'll talk to you a week from today. So have a great weekend. Stay safe as always. Stay sane. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.